today we're beginning a brand new Christmas series based on the book of Isaiah chapter 9 and we're calling this series The Child of Promise. The Child of Promise. This, uh, this chapter in Isaiah chapter 9, it is, uh, it is a foretelling of the birth of the Messiah. It's a foretelling of the whole thing with the manger in Bethlehem. And it actually happened 700 years after these prophetic words were written about the Messiah. No other prophet, by the way, in the Old Testament spoke as much about the coming of the Messiah as did Isaiah. He painted a picture of what the scene would look like when Jesus arrived. And he talked about how when Jesus came, he was going to bring an everlasting joy and hope that would be for all time. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And while Isaiah may have spoken more about Jesus than any other prophet in the Old Testament, he was definitely not alone in his ability to see the future and see a Savior who was to come. In fact, Bible scholars tell us that there are over 400 prophecies written about Jesus contained in the 39 books of the Old Testament. And it starts in the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 3 where God lets us know that it was going to be the seed of a woman who was going to come and when he came he was going to crush the head of the serpent and finally redeem lost humanity from the curse of sin that was the first one and then you read all the way through the Old Testament and you get to the last one in the last book of the Old Testament Malachi chapter 3 that said when the Messiah comes he was going to bring a new covenant a covenant of grace that was going to invite the hearts of the people back into relationship with God. All of the Old Testament scriptures create an anticipation of his coming and point the way to what would begin on the earth on that first Christmas day. All the law and all the prophets point to Jesus. I want to be clear about this. He is the fulfillment of everything that has been written in the scriptures. He is the fulfillment of everything God has said in his word. That's why the scripture calls him the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who was and the one who is and the one who is to come. And I'm just here to tell you today that there's not another solution and there's not an answer answer that the world should be searching for in our day and age. It's still Jesus. We're not waiting for another Savior to be revealed. He came over 2,000 years ago. He lived his life. He died on a cross. He rose from the grave. And all of that was to save humanity. And even now, if you will come to him in faith believing, he will save you. And he'll set you free. It was Jesus. It's always been Jesus. And it always will be Jesus. The Bible says that there is no other name given under heaven whereby we can be saved. Everything points to Jesus. And every year when Christmas comes around, this season reminds us of what we have in Jesus. It reminds us that he came to save lost humanity, that he is the savior of the world. And Isaiah shines the light on his coming more than anybody else in the Old Testament. And very powerfully, this is what he says concerning him in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Look at it with me on the screen. It says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. 
But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Now watch this. Verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. He says, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us from his word today. Father, we give you praise and honor you, Lord, because your presence is already here in this room, Lord. God, you are here. You inhabit the praises of your people. And we give you thanks and praise, Lord, because you've met us here today. Now, Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. I pray, Lord, that we would hear it. But we, more than that, we would receive it today with hearts, God, ready to receive what you have for us. I pray that, Lord, your word would cause transformation to happen in us, that something would happen within us, Lord, both of us here in the room and watching online, God, that something real and powerful would happen in our hearts today. We give you praise for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say amen. 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 Well, Isaiah chapter 9, one of my favorite Christmas passages of Scripture. In these verses of prophecy, Concerning the Messiah, you get this powerful promise from God on what his coming will mean to the world. And it begins right in verse 1. A lot of people go right to the names of, of the coming Messiah, and that's fine. That's what we're going to focus on in this series. But really, the promises of God begin in verse 1 when Isaiah makes this announcement, no more gloom. No more gloom. What an announcement for our world today. That there's no more gloom. That this can be, the gloom can end. It can be over today. He says your gloom will be turned to gladness. And then he says your darkness will be overcome by a light. He says your sorrow will be replaced with joy. And the oppression that you've been living under is about to get swallowed up in God's victory. And I don't have time today to go into detail uh, regarding all of those promises that are there. I, I may get to it later on in this series because there's so much there. But I do want you to know this, that Jesus Christ fulfilled every single one of those things. Those are not just empty words. Jesus, when he arrived on the scene in his life and ministry, he fulfilled everything that was written about him with great detail. God knows what he's doing. And when he speaks, he does not speak as a man that could lie. Every word that comes from him is fulfilled according to his purpose. Every promise he gives you is yes and amen to the glory of God the Father. You don't have to wonder if he is a man of his word or not because his word backs up everything he claims to be. And that's why the Bible is so powerful. Every time you read it, you're reading promises with your name on it, destined for your life. 
But that portion of the scripture gets us to Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. And this is the verse that we're really going to focus on today and throughout this series. And in verse 6, Isaiah begins making another round of prophetic claims about the Messiah when he writes, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And I want to talk about that word us for just a moment. Because that word us doesn't have any deep theological meaning. It just means us. But for some reason, this word us is so confused in our world today. The salvation that came to the world through Jesus Christ is not limited to a few. It's available to all. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says in John chapter 3, verse 16, we're talking about the very basic elementary things of the faith here, the beliefs of our faith. John 3.16 says that God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son, watch this, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. The child that has been born and the son that has been given has been given for whosoever will receive him. There's not one particular race or nationality that gets a claim on the Savior while the rest of the world lives hopeless lives destined for hell. He came for all of us. There's not one particular denomination that has a claim on the saving virtue of Jesus Christ. It's whoever believes on him can be saved. Let me tell you today, it doesn't matter where you come from or what your name is or what your past looks looks like or how educated you are or how much money you may or may not have. Jesus was given to all of us. He came because we needed a savior and when he came he got busy saving lost humanity. Don't fall into the trap thinking that he came for them but not for me. That they can be saved but I can't be. My past is too bad. My sins are too great. My shame is too heavy. If you're here today and you've been struggling with thoughts like that, let me give you some good news today. The Bible says where sin does abound, his grace does much more abound. Listen, there is nothing you could ever do and there's nothing you could have ever done that could threaten the love that God has for you, threaten it in your life. He came to save one. He came to save all. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means that when you come to Christ and you let him save you, your past is forgotten. Hallelujah. Your sins are forgiven. Your heart is healed and you don't have to live burdened down by the person you used to be anymore. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things have gone. Behold, all things have become new. Come on and give him praise for that if you believe it today. Amen. That's the trap of condemnation. Don't fall into it. But there's another trap that's equally as dangerous when we think about Jesus coming for all of us. And it's the, it's the trap of religion. See, the trap of condemnation says he came to save them, but not me. The trap of religion says the opposite is true. He came to save me, but not them. And see, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, Paul clears this up because there was some misunderstanding about this even in the early church. 
And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.26, he says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Listen, faith, that's all it takes. Faith in Him, that's all it takes. Paul goes on and says, In Him there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if we're all one in Him, he goes on and he says, Then we are all heirs of His promises. Hallelujah, they've got your name on them. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and us is referring to anyone who will receive the gift of God, anyone who will receive this child of promise. And Isaiah goes on and says of this child that the government will be upon his shoulders. The government, what government is he talking about there? Is he talking about a country? Is he talking about a nation, some world government? That's not what the scripture is talking about there. If you look in the Hebrew, that word for government simply means dominion or authority. It means that when he comes, he is going to establish a dominion on the earth. And when he establishes his dominion, he is going to assert his authority everywhere where that dominion goes. So it's not the kingdoms of this world that Jesus is coming to lead. The disciples even miss that part. It's not the kingdoms of this world. It's the kingdom of heaven that he is coming to establish. And watch this. Then he gives it to the church and says, now you've got dominion and you've got authority. And keep on going out and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We'll probably talk more about that later on in the series too because it's just too good not to preach about. But if you go on in verse 6, Isaiah gets to the part about his name. He's looking forward prophetically. And he says, this child is going to be given a name. And this is what I want you to know. The name that he's given represents the promise that he's coming to fulfill in your life. That's the meaning of his name. It's not just what he's called. It's what he's going to do for you, those of you who have received him. And Isaiah tells us this is what he's going to be called. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. And the Prince of Peace. And in this series, we're going to take each week, we're going to look at one of those names and we're going to we're going to talk about the promise attached to it. But today to kick things off, I want to focus on the first part of this name that Isaiah looks for and said, this is what it's going to be called. I want to talk about wonderful counselor and I'm going to give you three reasons his counsel is unlike any other counsel you could ever receive from anybody else. I'm going to give you three insights today about the counsel that comes from the wonderful counselor. And here's the first one. His counsel is strategy that releases supernatural results. His counsel is strategy that releases supernatural results. Now, this word translated wonderful in your Bible, in the Hebrew, is the word pele. And this word pele, it's a unique word. It's only used 12 other times throughout the Old Testament. And that is very abnormal in the the Old Testament scriptures. This is a word that they used only when they couldn't find another word to describe something. When they used this word, Pele, they used it because something was happening and what was happening was too great for their words to describe. They witnessed something with their eyes and they didn't know how to describe it. Or they heard from the previous generations about what had happened, what they saw. And they didn't know how to even tell what had happened. It was beyond all human understanding. It defied all logic. It's the word Pele. It means wonderful. 
And in our day and time, that word would actually probably be better translated miraculous or supernatural. The only time it's used in the Old Testament are those times when God comes down and he interjects himself into the scene of humanity and through his great strength and awesome power he does something that is unlike anything anybody has ever seen him do before it was a wonder it was supernatural it was miraculous David used this word Pele in Psalms chapter 77 verse 14 when he wrote this he said you are the God who performs miracles you display your power among your peoples. He said, you, you put on a display of your power, and when you get done doing what you did, all the people could say was, that was Pele. That we don't have another word to describe what you just did. It was miraculous. It was supernatural. No one else could have done what just happened other than God. He came down from heaven, and he did something in our midst. We call it Pele. Isaiah uses this word again in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 1, where he says, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. Isaiah said, the wonderful things you've done in my life, when you get done doing them, the only proper response from the people of God is to exalt the name of the Lord and to praise him. Because what God just did for us is far beyond what we could accomplish for ourselves. These are things that he only, he alone, he's the only one who could have done them for us. This wonderful counselor Isaiah is telling us about he gives us strategies and when he gives us his strategies they're supernatural in nature meaning that they defy logic and if we will take him at his word and if we'll take the advice of our wonderful counselor and do what he says then we will see something supernatural that when we get done seeing it we could only describe it as it was a move of God on our behalf that's what happened the first time this word ever shows up in scripture the first time you see this word, Pele, is in the book of Exodus, chapter 14. And in the book of Exodus, chapter 14, the Israelites, they have just finally escaped the land of Egypt where they had been living as slaves for 400 years. You know the story with incredible signs and wonders, the Bible says. God delivered them out of the land in Egypt with 10 plagues he brought upon Pharaoh. It took 10 for him to finally soften his heart and let the people go. And, and it's just been an, a marvelous thing, a work of God. And they've moved out of Egypt, but they haven't gotten very far in, in Exodus chapter 14 when they get stopped in their tracks by the Red Sea. And that Red Sea was standing between them and their promised land. That Red Sea was large and imposing. They're looking at it and they're thinking, there is no way we can get through this. It was so intimidating that just the sight of the Red Sea caused many in the camp of the Israelites to simply want to turn around and go back to Egypt. And they're, they're trying to figure it out. They're standing on the banks of the Red Sea trying to come up with a strategy to get them from this shore to that shore, from the place of bondage, the side where they've been living as slaves, to the side that the promised land is on. And then something happens that makes the situation far worse because as they're strategizing about what to do, suddenly they hear the sound of horses and chariots coming up behind them. Pharaoh had changed his mind. He had decided he did not want to let the people go after all. And he assembled what was at that time the most powerful army on the planet. 
to go after the children of Israel, to go and get them and pursue them and bring them back to the place of slavery. And so you got the Red Sea on one side, and you got Pharaoh's army on the other side, and you've got people stuck in the middle between these two things, and here's the reality, this is the truth, they have no idea what to do about their predicament. So the Bible says that Moses inquired of the Lord, He asked God, Lord, what should we do? How will you get us out of this hopeless situation? And you know, it's a good idea to go to people for advice from time to time. That's actually a biblical idea. You shouldn't be living your life where you're going it alone. And listen, nobody has all that much wisdom where you never need help from anybody. Sometimes you need to find out what good counsel is. You need to ask somebody for some help. The scripture says that wise is the person with many advisors. There's nothing wrong with asking for counsel. There's nothing wrong with asking for advice. We should all do that when we come to places in life when we don't know what to do. But I've learned over the years that when you go to people for advice, sometimes you get good advice, but sometimes you get bad advice. And good advice in this situation, if Moses was asking the people, what should we do? Good advice might have been, I got it. I got it. Let's build a boat. Let's build a boat. You know, maybe, maybe if they're split, uh, if their group splits up, right? And, and they say, you know, half of you, we want you to take the swords and you're going to take on Pharaoh and the army. And the other half, we want you to get your hammers and nails and we're going we're gonna to build some boats as fast as we can. You know, half of them are holding off the army from coming. The other half is feverishly building these boats. That might at least get some of the people across the Red Sea. You know, a lot of people are going to die. That's Pharaoh's army. We're no match for them. But at least we'll get some of them across the Red Sea. Perhaps if we can get these boats finished quickly. And, you know, you would think somebody in this group probably has an engineering degree and can make this thing go a little bit faster. Maybe somebody has the gift of craftsmanship in this, in this group of people. You know, over there, there's the great, 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 great grandson of Noah. It's in your blood, son. Your family knows how to build boats. Get up here front and center. You can help us. You might think, let's build a boat. That might be a good idea when you're facing a Red Sea and you don't know how to get across it. You know, another good idea might be let's build a bridge. It was probably a very long distance, and a bridge would have been really hard to pull off, but it's not the worst idea ever when you're trying to figure out how to get across a body of water. He might have received advice like that. Let's build a boat. Let's, let's build a bridge. Bad advice would have been let's all jump in and swim for it. Let's all just go for it here. You know, that, that means you're all going to drown in the Red Sea. Nobody's that good of a swimmer to get across. That's a bad idea. But when you don't know what to do, you can turn to other people, other counselors, if you will. And they might have a good idea for you. They might have a bad idea for you. But when you turn to the Lord, the wonderful counselor, this is what he'll do. He'll give you a strategy that's supernatural in nature, meaning it defies logic. It doesn't even make sense. It goes beyond human understanding. It's what the New Testament writers called wisdom from heaven. That's what that is. And that's what Moses did. Standing in front of the Red Sea with the armies of Pharaoh closing in behind him, Moses inquired of the Lord, what are we to do? And this is the counsel that the Lord gave him in Exodus chapter 14, verse 16. He told Moses, Moses, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. That doesn't even make sense. I bet if Moses announced that, I got it, this is what we're going to do. They probably would be like, don't do that, Moses. We're running out of time. That's not going to work. 
But Moses, he inquired of the Lord, and he did what God told him to do. God gave him a strategy, watch this, that was designed to release supernatural favor and supernatural power into his life. It wasn't bad advice. It wasn't even good advice. It was supernatural advice. It was advice that went far beyond anything that anybody else could have told him. And look at Exodus chapter 14, verse 21. It says, Moses did it. He stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind. And he turned it into dry land. The waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left. And then Pharaoh's army finally getting close. They're closing in with those horses and chariots. And they see what's happening. And Pharaoh, in his corrupt wisdom, said, we'll do the same thing. If it worked for them, it'll work for us. And he tells the army, go right into the middle of the Red Sea to pursue them. And when they did that, the Bible says that God brought those walls of water crashing down upon them. And he completely destroyed the armies of Pharaoh. He not only delivered the people through the Red Sea, he also delivered them from their enemies. When they acquired of the Lord, when God answered them... They saw the Pele, the wonder-working power of God, the miracle-working power that only God could do to save them. And then if you look in one chapter over in Exodus chapter 15, the Bible tells us that when they got to the other side, the Israelites sang a song. They got together. They, they were celebrating what they just witnessed, what they just saw. They sang a song to celebrate what the Lord had done for them. And in Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, these are the words they sang. They said, who among you, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory? Watch this. Working wonders. That word at the end there for wonder working God, that is the word Pele. It's the word, we don't have another word to describe what we just saw. And God wants you to know today that unto us, us, anyone, not, it's not reserved just for a prophet like Moses. It's not reserved just for somebody that's got that kind of anointing on their life. Unto us, everybody who would receive his son, when you receive him, you are receiving a wonderful counselor. And he is bringing you supernatural strategy. He's not someone who will just give you good advice when you're in a bad spot. He's someone that will give you advice that will cause you to see the wonder-working power of God in your life. If you've got a Red Sea you're facing and you don't know how to get through it, look to the wonderful counselor because he's got a strategy that you need. You've got an enemy pursuing you from behind, threatening to destroy you, seeking to devour you. What are you going to do? Look to the wonderful counselor because he's got a divine strategy that you need to be successful. He's the wonderful counselor and he's been given to you. And if you'll look to him, he'll give you strategies for living that will release supernatural provision into your life wherever you may need it the most. It was his supernatural strategy for the Israelites in Jericho when they marched around the city seven times for seven days. And on the seventh time around, the walls fell down with a mighty shout. It was the supernatural strategy of God that was given to David when he told him, go out and face that giant. But don't take the armor of King Saul. Take your sling and your stone. And when Goliath opened his big mouth to blaspheme the name of the living God, the name of the God of Israel, David did what the Lord told him to do. He started swinging that sling and he released that stone from the sling. And when he did, everybody standing there saw the Pele, the wonder-working power of God. 
It was supernatural strategy that he gave to King Jehoshaphat in Judah when he told them to march out into the battlefield with the choir instead of the army. He said, send the band out there instead of the air force. God knows they can't get it done anyway. Come on, somebody. I'm just kidding. I love you all. I just, it's like a softball. It was just hanging there. I just knock it out of the park right there. <laughs> but the Bible says that as the choir, as the praise team marched out into the battlefield, that God destroyed their enemies that day. He himself slaughtered their enemies. They saw his supernatural strength. It didn't even make sense. It was, it was Pele in the book of Daniel. When three Hebrew boys refused to bow down and worship an idol, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace, and yet they're standing in that fiery furnace, and not a stitch of their clothing is being burned, and they don't even have the smell of smoke on them. And when King Nebuchadnezzar looked in to that fiery furnace, he didn't see just the three Hebrew boys that he threw in there standing in those flames. He saw a fourth man. Do you know who the fourth man was? It was the wonderful counselor. He was standing there with them. It was the supernatural strength of the Lord showed up that day in Babylon. Come on, one more time. Let's give God praise for the power and might that's in his hand. Hallelujah. Yes, I feel like preaching today. For unto us a child is born, and this child will be called the Wonderful Counselor. They saw the Pele of God all through the Old Testament. You can read about it. It happened over and over and over again. But then you see it again in the New Testament when the Savior shows up, when the Messiah comes on the scene. This is exactly what Jesus began to do as he launched his ministry 30 years after his birth. The Bible says that he went out under the anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit and he healed all who were oppressed by the devil. When people came to him for help, they found that Jesus is indeed a wonderful counselor. When they came to him, what they received was supernatural strategy for their lives. It was his wonderful counsel that told the centurion soldier to go home in faith and he would find his servant healed by the time he got home. It was wonderful counsel that told the ten lepers to start walking in faith, even though they were still covered in lepers. Start walking in faith and go and show yourself to the priest. And the Bible says they were healed as they went. It was wonderful counsel when Jesus told the paralyzed man that had never walked in his life to get up, take up his mat, and walk. And as he walked, he was healed. It was wonderful counsel when they brought the blind man to Jesus. And they said, how are you going to heal this one? And Jesus spit on the ground and he made some mud and he put it on the eyes of the blind man and suddenly that blind man began to see it was the Pele the supernatural power of God that didn't make sense that defied all logic but it was wonderful counsel from a wonderful counselor and when they took his counsel they received supernatural provision for their life and I don't know what you might be facing here today what difficulties you might be dealing with in your personal life or in your family or with your children but this is what I do know. For unto us a child has been given. Unto us a son has been given. And, his, and the government will be, authority will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. And because he's been given that name, we have received that promise that he's giving us wonderful Pele counsel that defies all logic. It's supernatural strategy for our lives. 
if you will look to him as the source of your wisdom and strength, there's nothing wrong with getting advice from other people. But if you ever replace God's wisdom with the wisdom of man, you're missing it. You're missing out on the supernatural power that God wants to lead and direct your life with. If you'll look to him, you'll see his Pele, the supernatural, wonder-working, miraculous power of God at work in your life. There's nothing too difficult for him. I don't know what you're facing here today, but I've seen too many miracles to ever believe that they're not real. I've seen God come through in too many hopeless situations to ever believe the lie that he does not care about me or what I'm going through. When you look to the Lord, you will receive what you need right when you need it. That's the kind of God he is. It's financial counsel. Peter, it's in the Bible. Peter had a tax bill due. Jesus, how are we going to pay the taxes? And Jesus said, Peter, you need to go fishing. And Peter said, I got it. I've been fishing all day. It's not enough to pay the taxes. And Jesus said, just trust me. Take my advice. Go cast out one more time. And the first fish you catch, I want you to open its mouth. And in its mouth, you're going to find a coin. And that coin is going to be enough to pay your taxes. So Peter took the counsel of Jesus. He took the advice that the Lord gave him. And sure enough, when he caught that fish, he found a coin in it, exactly what he needed, enough to pay the taxes that he owed. It happened again. See, the disciples, most of them were fishermen, and they depended on their catch for their livelihood. But they had been fishing all day, the Bible says, and they hadn't caught anything, and they didn't know what to do. And so they finally looked to Jesus. They're like, Jesus, we've tried everything we know, and we're hungry, and we don't have money, and we need fish, and we don't know what to do, and can you help us? Can you give us some of that advice? Can you give us some of that wisdom? And Jesus told him, just throw the net on the other side of the boat. And I bet they looked at him like, thanks, that was great. <laughs> Remember that time when you split the Red Sea? You could do that now and leave all the fish in the middle. And we could just have, we, we've already done that, Jesus. That's not going to work. Jesus said, trust me, just do it. And so they did. They took the net from one side. They put it on the other side. And the Bible says when they pulled up the net, they had so much fish that their boat nearly sank from the weight of it. That's the supernatural counsel that doesn't even make sense. It happened in the wedding in Cana. And I'm trying to hurry. I got too much good stuff to say today. But the first miracle that Jesus performed in the Gospel of John, he was at a wedding. It was probably a relative of his because Mary was in charge of this wedding banquet. And, and they've run out of wine. And you got to understand something. In that culture, that would have been. A, a massive thing. That would have been like, oh man, you, you're, not, you're not treating your guests well. You've run out of wine. What in the world are we going to do? And so they go to Mary and they're saying, we're out of wine and they're still coming in and we don't know what to do. And Jesus said, that's my son. His name is Jesus and I want you to go talk to him. He is a wonderful counselor and he's about to give you some wonderful advice. And he says, he, this is in the scripture, Mary tells them, do whatever he says to do. So they go to Jesus, and they're ready. They're like, okay, what is he going to say? He's, there's a 7-Eleven right down the street, and you can get the best wine <laughs> at the 7-Eleven in Jerusalem. It's great. No, no, they go to Jesus and they say, what are we supposed to do? And Jesus gives them advice. He gives them a strategy that defies logic. He said, take the barrels that were used for wine that are now empty and fill them up with water. And they said, that's not going to do anything. Why, why would we do that? And he said, just do it. Fill the wine barrels up with water. So they do what Mary said. Just take him at his word. Do what he says to do. They go and do it. They fill those 
barrels made for wine up with water. And they bring them back and they said, now what? And Jesus said, now serve the guests. And they're probably rolling their eyes. They're thinking, this is the end of us. Our catering company is never going to survive the, the, the Facebook post after this one. They gave us water and pretended it was wine. But they do it. They said, all right, bring the glasses. They start emptying out these barrels. And to their amazement, the water had turned into wine, just like Jesus said it would. And see, that's what I'm talking about. It is strategy that does not make sense to anybody else, but it's what God told you to do. And it's an act of obedience when you do it, because when your obedience meets his power, when your obedience meets the might in his hand, when your obedience meets the provision that he's got for you from heaven, miracles happen, wonderful things happen, things that will change your life forever will begin to happen. You want to see something turn around start trusting God take him at his word do what he says to do he will not fail you it's impossible for him to ever not come through for you come on one more time give the Lord a big hand clap of praise today I'm going to go through these next two faster than any message I've ever preached in my life I promise here's the next one not only is his wonderful counsel strategies that are supernatural. It's planning that lines up with God's purpose. It's planning that lines up with God's purpose. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 1, the Bible says, we can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. He gives the right answer. And you see that this is what's so interesting, and you got to know this. The, the, the Hebrew word for, uh, for wonder or wonderful is peleid. It's, it's interesting. It's an interesting word. But the word for counselor is interesting too. It's ya'atz. Ya'atz. And this word, it, it, it doesn't mean anything different. It's counselor. It's advisor. It's, it's an advice giver. That's what it means in the scripture. And you see it all through the Old Testament. When David needed advice and he looked to his team, that's what the word is. But interestingly enough, in the book of Isaiah... This word is used over and over and over again. And every other time it's used, other than in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it's translated as, as one who offers plans according to a greater purpose. One who offers plans according to a greater purpose. This is what it says in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24. It says, the Lord Almighty has sworn, surely as I have planned, there's that word, as I have planned, so it will be. As I have purposed, there's the word again. So it will happen. Again, in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 27, it says, For the Lord Almighty has purpose. That's the word. He is an advisor who has a purpose for your life. As the Lord Almighty has purposed, who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? The counsel by the wonderful counselor always leads us to fulfill the plans that direct us to God's greater purpose in our lives. And this is, what I, this is the point I'm trying to make. You can seek out advice and counsel from a friend, and it might be good advice. But if they ever give you advice that does not line up with God's plans and his purpose for your life, I'm telling you right now, it doesn't matter what they told you. It's bad advice. It's bad advice. But when you look to Jesus, the wonderful counselor, you're going to get advice. You're going to get plans from the master strategists that reveal his purpose. This happened when we, when we uh, were praying about moving to Colorado, and we were, we were asking God, and I've shared this story. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but we, we felt called here, and we didn't know why, and so we decided we were going to come out on vacation and just check it out. And, 
One of the things we wanted to do when we got here was meet with some church leaders and just ask them about the spiritual temperature of the state and the spiritual temperature of the city and find out maybe what God was doing and maybe how our callings and our giftings could, could work here and what God wanted to do. And we met with an overseer when we were here and we shared our heart and said, God is calling us here. And now you got to understand something. This was in 2010 and there was a massive recession in 2008 that we had not recovered from yet. Right. And so we're meeting with him and he listens and, and he basically I'm not joking. He's like, well, you know, I, that sounds great, but the timing sure isn't right for this. And he said, my best advice for you would be to stay where you are. In a church that's strong and stable, where you have a job and money coming in and with people, family who love you. It's not time to do this yet. When we moved out here and we, you know, we just knew God had spoken to us, defied logic. We came out and we met with the overseer again. And I'm not saying anything bad about him at all. I, I appreciate him. He met with us and he prayed with us. And, but when we met with him, he was like, man, you guys are crazy. And I said, yeah, we're ready to go, man. We're here to plant a church in Colorado Springs. And he said, well, there's a problem there because we, we just don't have anything for you there. We don't have any infrastructure in place. There's no money available there's nothing for you and uh, my best advice for you is to is to become the pastor of this church in Denver that's been looking for a pastor for a while and I, this is a good church it's a strong salary so it's a large church in in Aurora and 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 you could really help them and they need a pastor and you're here and that's what you need to do and I was thinking like well that that sounds great and honestly I was flattered that they would even think of us for, for that kind of an assignment. But in my mind, I thought, you know, he thinks he's offering us good advice, but everything he's saying is attacking the will of God in my life. It's going against his purpose. It's going against his plan. God called us not to, not to Denver. He called us to Colorado Springs. He called us to Plant Life Chapel. And, and, and just think about if I had taken his advice and stayed in Georgia and not come out. Just think about how different life for all of us would be if I had said, you know what, that's good advice. I think I'll take that opportunity in Denver after all. Life would be totally different. It's bad advice, even if it's good advice. It's bad advice if it's not in line with God's purpose and plan for our lives. Paul wrote about this very thing in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, speaking of Christ, our wonderful counselor. This is what he says. It says, in him, Christ Jesus, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works, in all, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What does that mean? It means that as you look to him for advice and direction in your life, you can be absolutely assured that the counsel that God gives you, even if nobody else understands it, even if it sounds crazy to everybody else, the counsel that God is giving you is never going to go against the bigger picture and God's bigger plan for your life. Psalms chapter 34 verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. Now watch this, verse 5. 
They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. There's a reason I'm giving you this scripture today because the Lord told me that there's some people that have been walking around with shame in your life and shame on your face and shame in your heart and you've been wondering how do I get a release from this shame that has become a bondage to me. The Lord said that as you begin to look to the wonderful counselor and you stop taking your lead from the world and you stop taking advice from everybody else around you and you start walking in line with the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. He is going to remove the steps of shame you've been walking and he's going to replace that shame with radiance. He's going to replace shame with joy. He's going to replace doubt and confusion and fear with the wonder working Pele power of God. That's what God does. When you look to him, he's a wonderful counselor. He doesn't just give you supernatural strategy. He gives you a plan for your life that's in line with the purposes of God. Here's the last one. When you look to the wonderful counselor, what makes this counsel so wonderful? It's teaching that transforms our way of thinking. It's teaching that transforms our way of thinking. This is what's so amazing about the wonderful counselor. When he gives you advice and you take it, it's not just like you took good advice from your friend and it worked out. When you, when, when you look to him and he gives you advice and you take it, and you start walking it out, you actually become more like him. See, there's a transformation that begins to happen in your heart and mind. When you take the counsel of the Lord and you walk it out, there's, there's something that begins to shift in you. You start to become more like him. And this is, 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 is written about in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Paul writes this. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Then he asked the question, who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now watch this. Because Paul is going somewhere with this. He's pointing you to the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He's talking about the benefits of receiving God's counsel. Not living your life where you're trying to give him advice, but you're taking it from him. And then he tells us what the result of taking his advice will be in the following verses. It actually jumps to the next chapter in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now watch verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So as you look to the wonderful counselor and you do what he says... That's where you actually become transformed. That's where your mind is renewed. That's where he, he causes you to become like him. It's, it's, it's taking advice from the world and conforming to the patterns of the world that causes you to stumble and causes you to lose your, your place in life and, and lose God's, God's calling on your life and that drive to live for God. But, but when you're looking to the wonderful counsel of God and you begin to walk it out, there's a transformation that takes place. And again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says it so clearly and so plainly. He says, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, or your Bible might say, or to counsel him. But then he says, we 
we have the mind of Christ. How do you have the mind of Christ? You have the mind of Christ when you begin taking the counsel of Christ because his counsel transforms you and it causes you to start thinking and acting like Jesus Christ. It's amazing what the wonderful counselor will do in our lives. I want the band to come up and prepare to play softly. But I want to give you one more scripture to show this because his counsel is wonderful. Because it is teaching that transforms. And Jesus actually spoke about this in John chapter 8 verse 31. Look at it. Jesus said this. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then what happens? Then you'll know the truth. And what will the truth do? It will set you free. When you hold to his teaching, when you go to him for advice and he gives it and you actually take it and you begin to walk it out, you put yourself in a process called discipleship. But see, as long as you're living by your own wisdom and you're doing your own thing, you're not really following Jesus. Even, even if you acknowledge him as your savior, even if you acknowledge that he, he came and died for your sins, and, 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 and I believe you're on your way to heaven if you acknowledge that, but there's no growth, there's no transformation happening. Why? Because you're living according to your own counsel. You're living according to your own wisdom. You're walking according to the patterns of the world. But Jesus said, when you take my advice and you begin walking it out, you come into this process called discipleship. And the result of discipleship is gradual, ongoing transformation where you are again and again and again exposed to the truth and the truth keeps setting you free. It's an amazing thing when we look to the Lord, isn't it? Amen. Come on, stand with me all across the room. As we get ready to close today.